Welcome to Periop Talk, the perioperative-specific podcast where we discuss how to make surgery safer one podcast at a time. From Q&As with AORN guideline authors to interviews with OR nurses just like you, our goal is to always share practical information for you to take back to your OR. Hello, and welcome to Periop Talk. My name is Renee Battier, and I'm the Vice President of Nursing at AORN. Pride Month is in June, and it's dedicated to the uplifting of LGBTQ plus voices, the celebration of this culture, and the support of LGBTQ rights. As nurses, we can use this time as an opportunity to learn, grow, and improve patient outcomes by understanding how we can create a safe space for all patients that come for care. Today, we're going to spend some time discussing transgender patients and how we can be intentional about creating that safe space for this population with some really unique needs. With me today is Nick Unterkircher. He is the Manager of Digital Learning Strategies at AORN and a member of our Patient Outcomes Committee for AORN's work in supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion. Nick, you've been very involved in helping us set up an LGBTQ plus task force here at headquarters and educating us more about Pride Month. Tell us why the transgender population is an especially important focus for us to understand as caregivers. Thanks Renee. As a transgender male myself, I've been on the receiving end of some poor patient care experiences. And you know, I often, anytime I need to seek out medical care, I always have to play this game of mental gymnastics. and. Mm you know, that was even more apparent um, at a recent visit to an urgent care that I had about two months ago. I presented with some severe uh, abdominal pain and I went to the urgent care and again, showing up apprehensive, full of anxiety, full mm. of fear, not only for what was going on medically in my body, but also what kind of patient experience would I actually receive at this facility? So upon showing up, of course, you know, the systems that are in place are often binary. So on the intake form, I had to choose between male or female. Again, I'm a transgender male, so I present male, but I still am biologically mm -hmm. female. So that was an uncomfortable moment already in the, in the patient journey. So I decided to disclose as male and I was taken back, um, you know, had the assessment, was never fully asked about my gender identity so I'm just sitting, you know, there wondering if I'm going to get the appropriate patient care that I needed. Sure. Um, was my needs going to get met? Um, you know, what what kind of what was going to be the long-term outcome? So I'm I got taken back, given care, given the assessment, um, had a CT scan, was given a liter of fluid, and nothing was conclusive for causing the pain. Mm -hmm. um, part of my wondering, though, sitting there as a patient, was did I get asked the right questions? Do they know um, my biology? And were they checking for the right things? Um, at the time, I wasn't really sure of my level of advocacy of how much should I inform them. Then I also, you know, wrestled with maybe they do know, because um, again, you know, just looking at me, they should be able to determine this. And so it was a lot of assumptions on my behalf as well. So I was given the discharge form and I went home and was told, you know, if I was still experiencing pain to, to contact them. Sure enough, about a day later, my pain intensified and I was looking through the medical 
findings and records and realized that indeed all of my reports identified male. And I was, I was looking through, I realized that the lab findings seemed to be as it presented as it would be if I was an actual male biologically. And so realizing that there was possibly some disconnect, I called the facility again. And after about a 25 minute exchange, after being passed mm -hmm. amongst maybe four or five providers, I still didn't receive the information because in um, discussing this with friends and family, they potentially considered that I may have had a, an ovarian cyst. Mm -hmm. And again, um, you know, on the, the records, it was very inconclusive. So I called to just make sure that they ruled that out and nobody could give me a concrete answer. In fact, at the very end, one of the providers became really hostile, almost like asking, why did I need this information? And so, you know, shy of tears, I ended up ending the call and still not having the information I needed. Um, thankfully, I got better, but you know, then I was left with, do I go to a different facility to get a better care experience? So it was just that disconnect and, and wondering, not only experiencing excruciating pain, but not having conclusive information and still wondering um, what, what my next steps would have been. Oh, Nick, that's such a powerful story. And unfortunately, such a great example of the barriers that you've got, as well as people and systems that didn't help you get the care that you needed and you're in pain, right? And it's just such a great and tough example of how for the transgender population, why there can even be the avoidance of trying because of those barriers along the way, just the male female box on the front end and how that takes things down a path that is not helpful. We know too that that means people in this population may delay care and so they're not getting the help they need and so their situation could end up much worse. Fortunately yours didn't as you shared but you can see where it can make situations even worse and truly impact outcomes. Um, Nurses and other providers certainly want to deliver individualized care, but there are certain actions that we need to do to make it safe so that the right information is getting shared. So a couple of thoughts on what could have made a difference in that experience for you? I think you touched on a, a key element, Renee, and that is safety. And again, approaching that facility, I couldn't have been sure if I was going to be safe. And so mm. recognizing that the provider, um, you know, has an important role in this to make sure that they set the tone, that they give the mm -hmm. patient a safe space to disclose such medically necessary information. Um, a good first step would recognizing, as you mentioned, kind of approaching that individualized care. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I want listeners to understand that equal care is not the same as equitable care. So what makes each unique patient feel safe and accepted or affirmed in this community um, doesn't look the same for each patient. So um, setting up that, that safe space, we can um, begin by listening and recognizing that there's no one script that will work and that our identities vary. And so you can't make assumptions. Great points. 
And sometimes as simple as that presence of being curious and even something perhaps as simple as, is there anything else I should know about you lends itself to creating that space. Is that right? Yeah. And I think by, if I would have been asked that question that day, seeking out care, I I would have been felt in a position to disclose. And then we Mm -hmm. could have handled that situation in the moment and have tied up those loose ends that we didn't Mm -hmm. have an opportunity to. Great example. Thank you so much for sharing that story. In the process of being curious, let's share some uh, about the focus group that we did at um, Expo with some of our attendees. We wanted to get a better idea of what's the current state of knowledge for this population across our membership, as well as get their ideas on how we as AORN could help better educate and support education that's needed for improving the experience of this population. We had um, quite a variety of facilities represented, age groups, experiences, both familiar and less familiar with this population. So it actually was a really good discussion for us that was um, really helpful. So Nick, can you share a little bit about uh, some of the things we learned? Well, Renee, you know, as someone who identifies trans male, it was a unique experience to sit in that room, observing Mm -hmm. the panelists, hearing their stories, but also knowing firsthand what the patient experience was that they were describing. Some of the stories were heartbreaking. Some of the stories resonated with me and it was enlightening to watch this exchange. Um, some panelists themselves had their own family members, part of the LGBTQ plus community. So some individuals were more, um, more versed in advocacy for this patient population. And that kind of bridged those gaps within that own right. focus group. Um, I think people knew the what, they know the why, I just don't think they know the how as it's not mm. clearly defined. And I think that is, probably the biggest key takeaway is recognizing what can be in our toolbox to mm-hmm. help support this patient population. Um, and, you know, just from a patient perspective, um, and this was discussed during the focus group, there's a lot of gaps from facility to facility. Facilities are addressing this um, this fear of inclusivity differently. And so as the patient, that's really disruptive. So at one facility, it could be providing good patient care at another facility, a poor patient care experience. And that even extends to the individual provider. Sure. sure. So that, you know, that, and, and I think um, what I heard the panelists wanting was a standardized approach, right? And, and how we're mm-hmm. in going to be working towards this in solidarity to make sure that we're meeting the needs of this patient population. Exactly. I think one of the other things I heard kind of back to your story was, um, the male female on the front end um, that sets us down certain paths. So one of the terms that uh, we're familiar with and want to get out there more too is SOGI or sexual orientation, gender identity, um, and as part of medical records. And some organizations are taking some steps towards getting better language again, put into their um, medical records. And so that was a different How do we share that? I know Syntegrity is working on a little bit of that, but that's a system thing. So there's both system and individual pieces that need to be part of of creating uh, a better experience. So take some of the things that we heard there, uh, as well as your own, and like, what are 
if I'm a nurse that's in an organization, we might not have some more system related things going on, but how can I begin to make a safer place for this population? What are some tips and to-dos I can do? I think the most basic thing is to just listen and come from a place of empathy for mm -hmm. the patient and recognize that feeling safe and feeling affirmed looks different for everyone. Again, there's no one script that will work. Um, and, a, and if we make that um, kind of our overarching approach um, and by not making assumptions and asking questions such as you identified, is there anything else I should know about you to help us provide you the appropriate care today? A simple question like that, it really means so much to this community. Outside of that, um, of course, being a good ally, right? Support your colleagues, your patients, give everyone a space to bounce ideas off or ask questions about how you would approach situations like this. Mm -hmm. um, something I always like to share is calling people in versus mm -hmm. calling people out. And what I mean by that is calling people in is creating this dialogue where you can exchange just human um, language, right? And just kind of go from that from that humanistic lens versus calling people out. And oftentimes calling people out shuts down dialogues and it you know, creates a space where people are less likely to be receptive to mm -hmm. opportunities for growth. And this really kind of falls in that framework of allyship. Right, right, great, great comment. I love that phrase, calling people in to create that curiosity, understanding, um, frankly, another thing, a couple of things I remember too is uh, some of the focus groups sharing some experiences they were having with colleagues and that that created some learnings for their own organization as well as their experiences with patients so that calling people in and being allies can happen in a number of venues, but it creates that sense of learning and understanding. Um, Another thing I can remember too is just, you know, you can be your own activator of how do we get better language in our medical records and at least start that conversation and, uh, as another one too. Thank you, Nick, for those insights and those stories and applying it to real life scenarios. It makes it so much more powerful. I know as nurses, we all want to help folks feel safe. We want them to get great care and for us to do better at creating that safe space where this population is going to take some additional actions. Um, we will continue uh, as AORN to add more information and resources on our AORN website. And if you have some resources to share as you're listening to this, please send those to us. We want to make those available to all. Nick, thank you again for joining me today for Periop Talk. I wanna thank you for your profound impact on our learning at AORN as we learn how to be better allies and advocates for this transgender population so that we really can make a difference in improving their health outcomes when they seek care. So June is Pride Month. As nurses, we can be open to learning, recognizing that the same care for everyone doesn't fit everyone. And we all have a responsibility to be educated and inclusive. It's not just for members of the LGBTQ plus community to celebrate, but all of us as allies have a role in Pride Month and celebrating diversity and inclusion together. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. 
We hope you'll share this podcast with your colleagues, and we hope that you'll join us next time for Periop Talk.